Hi everyone, welcome back to The Visitation, your favorite true crime podcast where we try to solve the impossible. I am your host, Crystal Coral. Today's episode is going to feature a very sensitive topic that may be difficult for some of our listeners. This topic involves domestic violence and death. This is also a requested case that I felt very drawn to, and I decided to feature it on my platform. This case that I'm going to share with you today dates back almost 30 years ago, the year 1993, location, Sedona, Arizona. This is the unsolved homicide case of Stephanie Wasilishin. And not only will we get to dive into her case, but we will also hear from her daughter, Nicole, who was also there that fateful night of her mother's death. So before we get started, I got to ask you, are you ready to solve the impossible? Stephanie Wasilishin was a 32-year-old mother. She had two young daughters, a 10-year-old named Nicole, who she had from a previous relationship, and a 4-year-old named Christina, who she had with her live-in boyfriend, Russell Peterson. At this time, Russell was 31 years old, and they both shared a home in Sedona, Arizona. Reports state that in the early morning hours on July 9th, 1993, Sedona police responded to a call that came from a location of a home located on Coffee Pot Drive. This location would be the house of Stephanie and Russell, and police would discover the lifeless body of Stephanie with a gunshot wound. Now, what happens next is just about to make things a bit chilling, in my opinion. If you don't know, I'm also a statement forensic analyst, which means I can analyze statements and can determine whether a person is being truthful or deceitful based on words being used along with their behavior and inflection in their voices, especially during the conversations that they have with authorities or other people. Now, I'm going to read the 911 description that came in at 1.40 a.m. after the fight between Stephanie and Russell. This was a 911 phone call that Russell made that was recorded with a 911 operator. It reads, Operator, 911, what is your emergency? Russell, uh, I need your, I need help. What kind of help, sir? There has been a very bad accident. Me and my wife, we were in an argument, and she is hurt very bad. Okay, what is wrong with her? She has been shot. She was shot? Who has shot her? We were, I don't know who. The operator responds, you don't know who shot her? Russell responds, I might have, 
she might have shot herself. Mr. Peterson, where does it look like she has been shot? It looks like she has been shot in the neck or the chest. Now, you can hear this 911 um, phone call on, and I'll link this 911 phone call uh, since Nicole has it on her TikTok page. You can hear this conversation and it's a little eerie and also um, based on his, his tone of voice, something's off. Now, reading this, you know, reading this transcription, I can tell you that after hearing this call and reading the transcript, I'm honestly shocked that the police didn't even investigate Russell even more, honestly. Here's what I mean. In Russell's statements, especially in the beginning, he mentions that he has been in a very bad accident. Or, sorry, he... There was or there has been a very bad accident. And that statement alone, in my professional opinion, means that there was a sense of regret. Now, I want to add, which is extremely important since this case is still considered active, that everyone is still innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. What I tell you here on my podcast is just my personal and professional opinion. I just want to make that clear as I still believe that everyone is still innocent until proven guilty and I strongly believe that detectives need to go back and look into these smaller details because the work that they did in 1993 needs to be adjusted more. And honestly, now with the technology that we have 30 years later, things are a lot different. And the education, which I would hope that some of the some of these homicide detectives can pinpoint or can have a better judgment in their investigating their cold cases. Of course, this is just my opinion. Now, the second statement that caught my eye is that when the operator asked, you don't know who shot her. And Russell replies, I might have, dot, 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 she might have shot herself. So here is the thing with this. Clearly, this is a big red flag, again, in my opinion. Of course, anyone with a brain can see that this is a big red flag. This even might be of a Freudian slip. I will say that since this case is now active. Authorities, again, they got to look back at these statements. And also, they need, to, they need to determine how the gun was angled when the bullet struck Stephanie. There are two outcomes that could have happened. It could have been intentional or accidental. Stephanie's family strongly believe that this is not suicide. In fact, even the coroner, coroner even states that this is not a suicide. It was even ruled a homicide. So it seems like authorities who went to the home that early morning clearly did not do their job properly in either securing the crime scene, taking more information down, or even questioning Russell more that evening. So 
Let's look at the crime scene. In my research, I discovered that Russell told investigators that when he came home from work, he and Stephanie had got into an argument that occurred around 1.15 a.m. And he claimed that Stephanie went to the master bedroom and got a gun, which was a Ruger Red Hawk 44 Magnum revolver. Russell claimed that Stephanie had pointed the gun at him and stated that she was going to shoot him. He claimed that Stephanie did shoot him but missed. And that was when Stephanie went back to the bedroom and Russell followed her in order to take the gun away from her. According to Russell, he told authorities that a struggle ensued and the gun went off and which struck Stephanie in the neck. So was it really a struggle? Was it intentional? Or is he saving face? In the news article, which will be linked in my show notes, state that the authorities interviewed Russell and he claimed this is, <laughs> this is going to be interesting for you. He claimed that he did not call 911 right away. In fact, he waited till he could put the gun away before the police arrived. Actually, before calling the police. So why the hell would anyone do that? I mean, if the gun went off accidentally and you were in a state of shock, you would, you would think that a person would immediately drop the gun, try to render aid, or immediately phone 911, right? Not frantically get the gun, try to hide the gun, or any kind of way and wait till the gun was put away and call 911 unless the gun was stolen or something was wrong. Of course, people react very differently and in, in uh, certain situations, but you know, it does sound a little suspicious. The statement that he gave authorities, he admits to, he tells the authorities, and I quote, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't want to be accused of murder, of anything like that. Picked up the gun, I put it in the holster, and I put it in the closet. I brought it back down and I said, no, that's stupid. It happened. There's nothing you can do about it at this point. And I set it back there on the ground and you guys came. End of quote. Now I'm going to let that sit with you. Doesn't that sound strange? The first sentence alone, he says, I didn't know what to do and I didn't want to be accused of murder. All right, that right there. That, that sentence alone. I didn't know what to do and I didn't want to be accused of murder of or anything like that. Why, Russell? Why would the authorities assume that you would be accused of murder? Do you have a history of violence? Would anybody believe that you were capable of harming Stephanie in that kind of capacity? The thing about it is why would he automatically assume with an immediately accused of murder? He could have been like, this was an accident. See, that to me and that statement is another red flag. And again, I, this is just my opinion. I'm not saying he's guilty, you know, I'm just saying this is just a little suspicious and again, authorities need to reevaluate some things. Um, it's a little suspect. 
Again, everybody is still innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. I want to make that clear once again. I feel like that's important. So not only does he admit to moving the weapon and touching it after it goes off, which wipes DNA, of course. DNA at that time was not a big thing. But I would assume that authorities would take the gun into evidence. Also wipe not only Stephanie's fingers for gunpowder residue, but also Russell's hands too, which I'm not sure if they did. Also, pictures should have been taken to the crime scene, especially with the accounts of Russell's statements. So based on if there was a struggle with Russell, how was Stephanie's body, you know, face, how was she lying down when she was, when the gun went off, correct? If there was a struggle between her and Russell, and if it was accidental, and if he was trying to get the gun away from her and the gun accidentally went off, he would obviously have either gunpowder in his hand and so would she. You know what I mean? There has to be two and two together. Now, I don't know if Russell is a nervous man in general or if this, situ- if this situation alone amplified those emotions, but based on his actions alone with picking up the gun and moving around just doesn't look right. Again, if it was an accident, why would it be difficult to admit that it was an accident? There is a statement that I actually really like, and I don't remember who said it, but it's actually one of my favorite favorite, favorite statements. And it says, if you're telling the truth, you don't have to remember a thing. So it basically says, if you're telling the truth, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to stutter. You're just telling the truth. And I just want to leave that with with y'all because I feel like that fits into this situation. Now there is someone who was in that home that evening and she has been sharing her mother's story and hopes to get the answers her family needs to get justice and close her mother's case. I had the honor of chatting with Nicole. So take a listen. So I want to introduce Nicole. Thank you again for joining the visitation and reaching out about your mother's case. Thank you once again. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about your mother? Hi, Crystal. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. My mother was awesome. She was gorgeous. She was that beautiful young mother that everybody wanted my mom, you know, to be their mom. Um, She was always dressing us up. I mean, like we were little dolls, my sister and I. She was very young. She was 32 when she was taken. So it's she didn't even get a chance to live life. I don't really know her very well. I just know that she was beautiful. Based on her pictures, she was beyond beautiful. I'm 33, so I can, my gosh, she is young. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? I'm older now than my mother made it in life by like eight years now. And just looking at you and looking at your mom, you guys are just so identical. We used to look a lot alike. Now I'm starting to have wrinkles. It's sad that (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to not recognize the face in the mirror anymore. Isn't that weird how time goes? It's crazy, yeah. Thank you, though. I appreciate that. I love well, you look beautiful, though. <laughs> I love people when they tell me that I look like my mom. It makes me feel like she's still alive a little. So thank you. Of course. So can you tell me about um, your mom and Russell? So reading off a little bit about it, did your mom and Russell have a difficult relationship? Like, what was the, how, how was the, like, life there at home? Yeah. Uh, um, my mom was with Russell for on and like six years. They were together and 
towards the end of it, I, I remember it was it was bad. He was drinking a lot. She was very unhappy, and she had planned on leaving. It was a it was talked about often, and then she finally made that decision, but then never got a chance to go. Yeah. Man. Now, do you remember Russell's behavior leading up to that night? Nothing abnormal. Nothing abnormal. He was always gone. He was never there at the house often, always working. And when he was there, you know, he reeked of vodka. He was a drinker. He was never there, Crystal. So I'm going to ask you, what happened? Do you recall what happened that night? I'll tell you what I remember. Yeah. What I remember was it was any other night. It was summertime. I was running around with my almost four-year-old sister. I was three weeks old. I was three weeks away from being 11. And I just remember we're playing hide and seek, playing with the dog. But we were getting yelled at a bunch that night because my mom was on the phone. I remember the only thing different was that she was on the phone all night long. Hours. My dad, my aunt, back to my aunt. Hours. And she was just kept screaming at us to be quiet go back to our rooms, go play in the room. And then finally at around 11 o'clock, I went to bed and I remember hugging and kissing her and we had a, a, a couch that didn't sit against the wall. So it floated free. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget it because it's the last moments I have with my mom. And so they replay in my head for 30 years now. I'm, I went up behind her and I gave her a hug and a kiss. She asked me if I brushed my teeth. I lied and I went to bed. And that's the last, the last time I'll ever see my mom. And it'll be three hours later when the Sedona Police Department is waking me up with a flashlight because they can't find my light switch because the house in Sedona was a two-bedroom home. And my sister had a room and my mom and Russell had a room, so they made the garage my room. So I was on the other side of the home, which is why I didn't hear any of the altercation. I was in the garage. And so the cops couldn't find the light switch. And so the first thing I remember of my new life waking up to was a flashlight. And the police escorted me very quickly from my home into a cop car and I won't even know for days what happened. They'll say that my mom and Russell got into a fight and my mom's at my aunt's house. Oh my gosh. I believed it. I was 10 naive. I always believed my elders. Yes. Yeah. 10. I mean, they're, they're the ones that to protect you. So of course you would believe that you're a child. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, do you, God, this case, I can only, I, I feel my heart really does go out to you because researching this case and it makes me so angry because of whoever was in charge of the crime scene and everything. Do you know if pictures were taken in the crime scene? Yes. The, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. Yes. There are um, lots of photos, but my aunt in 30 years, never requested for them. I, I don't think I, I'm ready either. <laughs> to oh, get no, no, no. But they, they should have them on file as yes. well as like DNA, you would think so, right? Yes. yes, actually, that's a question we asked with the interview we just had last month with the Sedona Police Department. And yes, there are crime scene photos aplenty. Yes, ma'am. Great. Well, that is good because it, from last that I read, it's still active, correct? Yes, ma'am. It went from an inactive phase in January to a, we're in a review cycle right now because I wrote to Sedona City Council. So it, it's currently active. And I'm also linking your um, your change thing, your petition on our show notes 
on this podcast so our viewers can take a listen and also sign and also follow you on your TikTok page for your journey, as well as um, to keep up with, you know, on your mother's case. Because I feel what you're doing is you are your mother's voice. Yeah. You call yourself Nancy Drew, but, <laughs> and it's so funny though, because when I think of Nancy Drew, I, 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 to me, you are literally like Scooby-Doo, like, <laughs> because you work with animals and you are like a badass. And I, I think that you're doing wonderful things. Um, and I know that you are knocking on the right doors. I also want to ask you, do the, do the, do the investigators now, since they have it active, do they think that Russell is a suspect? Yes, ma'am. And they are currently trying to get in contact with him, but they, he is ducking. He is ducking them quite persistently via email every way. They've even staked out the front of his home for a while. And so he's, he's managed running. to, a, he's avoided them. <laughs> wow. So if you're running, then you are, why are you running, Russell? Yeah. Also, Fox 10 News would love to have, a, you know, a, a quote from him to, you know, clarify his side of the story. They've been looking for him for close to a year as well. So Fox 10 wants to hear from you, too. Oh, my gosh. So I want to ask, is there anything like regarding any updates with your mother's case? Updates as right now, since last month, when I talked to the Sedona Police Department, they told me that I need to contact Yavapai County Attorney's Office. Basically, okay. Yavapai County is who I need to talk to. But then when I call and email Yavapai County, they're pointing back at Sedona Police Department. So now I'm in the middle and I don't know who to turn to, whether it's the Sedona Police Department or the person, the Yavapai County's Attorney's Office. I just need all of us to be on the same page here. So this is why I'm pleading out there on a podcast for Nikki doesn't know who to turn to out of both of these agencies. Hey. I'm frustrated. Yeah, no, um, shit, I'd be writing to the commissioner and I would be writing everything. Um, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I, again, I applaud you. Thank I you. really do. Um, so where can our listeners Ooh. follow your, oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. One more thing. No. You wanted updates. Um, yeah. that we were talking with, um, the Sedona police department and a big chunk of this because my sister was little and the gunshots went off and she was more than likely awake during the time of the altercation. And she also said that a lot in the case file and in her interview, and she's repeated it all of all of our lives. So my sister's a witness and the Sedona police department is currently looking for her to get her, her side of the story. Oh and so it, I haven't heard from her in about three years since July of 2020. They haven't heard from her in about two. So if my podcast, your podcast gets out there, we're looking for my sister, Christina, Courtney, Wasilishan, Peterson, literal, whatever you're going by these days, Kay. I need you to call me. Mom's case. We need you. I need you. I just, I'm sorry. And we just all need to come together. So call me. And that's the update. I have a missing sister that I don't want to report missing to the, the Phoenix police because the Sedona police department's already looking for her. So that's an update. But and um, I and I'll, I'll put that on the show notes as well. Yes, that's great. I'm, I'm currently just, yeah, get that out there as far as possible. She should be in the greater Phoenix area somewhere. Yeah, I, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, she was present for sure. And, you know, I had read in the article that she had said, she even mentioned that um, Russell 
It's just that pop pop shot. <clears throat> I read that on Fox News. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I never did. I, it's been so crazy, Crystal. I never emailed you the the case file. But if you read oh, her okay. interview, if you read her interview, she she says at least like thirteen times, at least a dozen times that you know Papa killed Mama in her I interview, and it's just it's just so heartbreaking because she's three and you don't she doesn't really understand what she's saying, and it's just it's so candid, and it's just so heartbreaking. And I requested the audio for that when we were in Sedona. But they haven't gotten back to me on if they could release it because it's ch child audio, even though it's myself and my sister's mm -hmm. interview. I still wanted to hear it. We haven't gotten that yet. But she, she, uh, yeah. Well, my sincere condolences with everything. And I, my heart and my prayers are always with you. And I am literally following your journey. Um, you are doing an awesome job, Nikki. Mm -hmm. Don't stop. Thank you. You're, you, <laughs> that dog, Jake. <laughs> I, I, I'm like one of his biggest fans. <laughs> Love Jake. He's totally getting me through this right now. I have done like three. This is why I'm so exhausted. I've done three open closes too. And I, ever since I, I committed to him, like I hate leaving him there. But yeah, his adoption's pending. He's mine. I congratulations on that. I like I wanted to tell you that he's like my biggest I, I'm like his biggest fan to so let him know. <laughs> yeah, I'll give him hugs for you. <laughs> yes, you. please do. All right. So I will add everything. Nicole, thank you so, so much. And again, please keep us updated. And if anybody's listening, I will be linking a lot of Nicole's uh, social media platforms, her petition of change and um, some information regarding her missing sister. Christina. So let's get everything in order. Find her. Let's awesome. solve the impossible. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like it's important to note that most often domestic violence can often lead to death. In fact, according to studies that I will be linking in my show notes, that women are five to eight times more likely than men to be victimized by an intimate partner. Of course, men can also be victimized too. Sadly, according to studies done by Emory University School of Medicine, it is, it is discovered that the intimate violence partner results in nearly 1,300 deaths and 2 million injuries every year in the United States. More than three women are killed by husbands or, boy, or boyfriends every day. If you or if you know of someone who is experiencing domestic violence, please know that resources are available and you are not alone. Help is near. You can contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 1-800-799-7233, or even text START at 88788. And again, this information will be linked under my show notes. Know that you are not alone. This isn't your fault. And help is always available. I want to thank Nicole for reaching out and always sharing her side and her mother's story on the visitation. I do pray that her family receive the justice that they deserve because whatever happens in the dark will always come to light. To follow along on Nicole's journey, I will be linking her social media platform on my show notes, such as her TikToks, as she will be updating the process of her mother's case. 
If you would like to submit a case to be featured on the Visitation Podcast, you can go ahead and email me at thevisitationpodcast at gmail.com. Also, be sure to follow me over on TikTok and Instagram under the handle The Visitation Podcast for updates on any of the cases that are featured on the visitation. Again, thank you guys so much for taking time to listen. I appreciate every one of y'all. Again, I am your host, Crystal Coral. Stay safe, everyone, and we will talk soon.